This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We do more varieties and flavors of cheese than anywhere else on earth. By pushing the boundaries of what cheese can and should be, find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. It's Cider Week here in all of New York State, and it's Tuesday, October 5th, 2021. Um, we've got quite the Cider Week show here. We've got a couple of retailers as well as cider makers. Um, we're going to go around the room and do a brief introduction of everyone. So let's start with Steve. Hello, my name is Steve Seelan, and I'm the uh, owner, orchardist, and cider maker at South Hill Cider in Ithaca, New York. That's great. And Paige? Hey, it's Paige coming to you from Fishkill, New York, up in the Hudson Valley, and I own Boutique Wine, Spirits, and Ciders, and we're a bottle shop. All right. Carl? Carl Duhoffman, a founder and uh, one of the cider makers and pomo makers at Orchard Hill Cider Mill in the Hudson Valley. Great. And Mike? Hey folks, I'm Mike Reese. Um, I'm one of the owners of Redfield Cider Bar and Bottle Shop out in California. And uh, yeah, just waking up. <laughs> All right. Well, let's start with Paige. This is quite a show. Um, Paige, the other day you, you came down to our Cider Feast NYC in Brooklyn. Um, how is Cider Week for you? You're, you're in Fishkill. You're one of the top uh, bottle retailers in the state. Are you doing anything different for Cider Week? Yeah, we're actually doing a couple of in, uh, in-store in events this week, and we're kicking it off on this Saturday, which is the 9th. So we're doing a 1 to 5, and we're going to have a ton of New York State ciders out open for tasting. So we'll have about 30, plus our tap system of 13 is always rolling. That's great. And then, Carl, for you, you also sent down uh, some product to Cider Feast, but um, you you had something going on up at, at your cidery, didn't you? Well, yeah, I mean, it's a very busy time of year um, at the orchard. We have um, enormous agritourism uh, sort of onslaught happening with people coming to visit the cidery um, and uh, also to pick apples and, and other activities at the orchard that are that our home orchard uh, is Soon's Orchard. So for people who don't know, um, we are partners with um, – you know, Jeff Soons, who's the orchardist and, and, but they're two separate kind of institutions. And so there's a lot of activities at the orchard going on right now. And, um, we're getting a ton of visitors. So we're, uh, we're very, uh, very, it's a very exciting time of year every year. Great. And Hey, Steve, um, you know, you're, you're kind of the, the guy who called the show. Just give us a, your take on cider week at, at South Hill and, um, what well, we're going to talk about regional ciders. Yeah, we're uh, like Carl. We're we're pretty busy because we're located on an orchard. Um, everybody loves visiting orchards in the fall, and um, we have various events for Cider Week, and so that's bringing people here. We have some. We, have, we actually we have a we have a tasting that's happening this Thursday. A bunch of the local cider makers are coming to. Um, to taste their stuff, kind of set up farmer's market style. And uh, I'm looking forward to it because 
we're we're so busy with our own orchards and cideries and businesses we don't really get together a whole lot so it'll be a time where a lot of us cider makers can hang out and try each other's ciders that's happening this thursday um doing an orchard tour on saturday and um yeah it's a busy time of year we're out picking apples today um i'm actually sitting in my car outside someone's house to use their wi-fi because there's about 100 wild apple trees on our property and she's kind enough to let me use her wi-fi for this in uh on my lunch break <laughs> that's so romantic man it's beautiful um so steve you wanted to talk about regional ciders and regional differences and things let's let's start the conversation because i know you also invited mike rice from redfield cider out in oakland california well yeah i just kind of threw it out there jimmy i don't know um you know um i was invited to to you know be on the show here and that that's something that's been on my mind i threw out there was just regional styles is what what regional styles are developing so that's just a question that i have and so i thought mike would be a good person to ask that question to because he i know he sells ciders from all over the country he's got a lot of um yeah a lot of experience tasting ciders from all over the world all over the country and he he brought my site in fact he's he he when when people ask me where my cider is available i jokingly say it's available from coast to coast because mike (laughs) mike got me out there in the bay area and um i i'm in new york and so i've got some cider out in new york city so um (laughs) so i know he's got some ciders from new york I, i see eves pop up on his shelf uh we're usually there um so yeah, he's got and I, and I know Paige sells ciders from all over the place. So yeah, I was just wanted to pose the question of what regional styles do people see developing in the cider world? Great. So let's let's start with Mike again. A, a, a general general conversation, and we'll ask a lot of questions. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of really exciting stuff happening. Um, you know, uh, not just in the U.S. but throughout the world. Uh, we've been getting all kinds of, of stuff in the shop, not just like, you know, some of the European classic stuffs from France and the UK, but uh, we've also been getting, you know, some exciting new ciders from producers in Denmark. They're influenced by like the natural wine scene over there. Um, and then, yeah, within the US, I think California has got a few different distinctive things going on. Um, I guess uh can kind of give a, a quick overview of what I think has been happening there, which has been pretty exciting over the last year or so. Uh, I feel like there's there's always been, you know, kind of these these modern flavored ciders built on a base, often of, of California apples with uh, flavoring added of some kind, whether it's other fruits or spices or whatever. Um, there's also, you know, been folks like Tilted Shed or Tanuki that are focusing on on finding interesting heirloom or cider-specific apple varieties and presenting them in a manner that's uh, highlighting the quality of the fruit and possibly natural fermentation. And then, you know, over the last like year or two, especially, I've seen a lot more folks coming to cider from wine, especially natural wine, um, both as a, a response to kind of a surge in interest in cider, but also as a way to kind of help diversify what they're making, uh, given that fire pressure has been a really big influence on on California wine. Um, so there's, there's pretty exciting stuff happening in California right now. And, 
and yeah, I think, uh, you know, you see a little bit of that coming out of, of, of ciders from Oregon, Washington and, and their intersection with the wine world. But, um, yeah, like Steve said, we got stuff from all over, so yeah. I'm not going to try to summarize all of American cider, but <laughs> that's what's happening in our neck of woods at least. Well, Mike, how about this? Like, you know, when you go into a, you know, it's a, if your store is a, a, a wine store or, or a bar, you're going to have a wine list. If it's a retail store, there's going to be sections. How do you, uh-huh. um, you know, categorize your ciders for the customers? Yeah, we do it regionally. Um which is a little tough if you're counting on the customer to kind of like guide themselves through the process. Um, so we, we have everything kind of organized by region and actually like literally how it's on the shelf looks kind of like a map of the United States. You know, you got Washington up in the top left of the shelf and New York in the top right. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't think that would work in like a, a grocery store necessarily if you're trying to give the customer the tools to to find something that suits their own taste. But we do everything in a very like hands-on manner. You know, if someone walks in the store, we come up and say like, Hey, what kind of stuff are you looking for? Like, let me, let me help you find it. Um, so yeah, we stick to regional in terms of, uh, how it's presented on the show. Yeah. But if let's say that someone was going to create a, a region, more regional designations down the road, I mean, wouldn't you have to, wouldn't you have to consider, are we just talking about the apples and where they're sourced? Are we talking about the, the process of making? Are we talking about, sour are we talking about hopped you know are we talking about added fruits um it it gets really complicated you know i i just from doing the cider events I, i've been doing and i want Paige to, to weigh in too it's that everyone has a totally different expectation of what cider is and i think that's kind of exciting i mean i find that people are willing to try everything um and sometimes you want that mix, right? It's like sometimes you you want a super dry cedra, and then you want something more fruity. Yeah, I think uh, I think for us, you know, it, it it comes down to to just educating as much as we can. I think like if you can imagine, uh, and uh, if you can imagine a world in which like nobody knew what any different beer style was, uh, it's a similar challenge where it's like someone comes in and says like, "Hey, I want a beer," and you're like, "Oh." Okay. Uh, yeah. Like we got a, a big range of beers here and, and you hand them a stout and they decide that they don't like beer. Uh, then that's kind of like a, a real failure at, uh, at helping someone develop their own tastes. So, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, to the extent that, that we as retailers can, can hold people's hands and introduce them to, to what makes each thing different or just introduce the idea that there are variables that can make, cider tastes different from each other. I think, uh, I think that goes a long way in, in, uh, helping people feel like they can establish their own taste within the world of cider. Yeah. So it's like, I'm going to walk into Paige's place and I want a hard cider Paige. I want to taste some hard ciders. How, how have you, you've done a great job of educating people and tasting people. How, how do you represent the, the wide range of ciders? I think to Mike's point, uh, education is key. That's very, very important as a retailer, and it's something that um, we spend a lot of time working on. But yeah, uh, we introduce cider as a category and not as a flavor, and I think that's what confuses a ton of people. I think people have an idea of what the flavor of cider is going to be and don't understand that it is an entire category, not unlike wine or beer or anything else. And that they have to understand and kind of go through and understand what the differences are from the fruited type of thing to the sour 
type of category to a farmhouse type of category to a French style. There are lots of dis different styles within the category. So what we do here is we bring people right over to our taps. We have 13 here in our store. We start to taste them through and we almost always start with um, Carl's product, which is uh, Orchard Hill Verde because it's a nice medium style cider. And I can kind of use that as a litmus test for a customer to find out if they want something sweeter or drier. And almost everybody, I would say about 90% to 95% of the customers that try Orchard Hills Verde Cider likes it. And then I ask them, do they want a little sweeter or a little drier? And then we kind of go from there. And then I can start to categorize that customer and start to understand what their flavor profile is. If that is not an option, a couple of questions like what's the last type of wine that you've enjoyed or what, how do you take your coffee? Those types of questions actually will help me ascertain from a customer where their flavor profile is. And then I can start to recommend ciders from there as well. But what, what Mike said is very, very true. It's the education part of it. And then also once the customers have tried ciders and we are so lucky because we're in the Hudson Valley and we have so many great cideries right around us. Sending those customers to the cidery to go walk the orchard, um, to go see what the apples look like, to understand that the apples that they're seeing on the trees that are often used in ciders are not necessarily the same that they would see in the supermarket. And to start to understand the process of what goes into that cider, that is something uh, we like to do is to send the customers and our guests out to the cideries that are local to us or send them up to the Finger Lakes to go see some of the cideries up there. It's a great weekend trip oh, that's from great. us anyway. And then, and then Carl, uh, you know, you, you're really a great sales salesperson. Um, how do you represent your, your Orchard Hill and, and what's the variety? Because I mean, just by having Pomo, it's like, that's a whole nother style as well. Yeah. I mean, it, the the market is a bit of a challenging landscape right now. Um, our our line has a bit, a bit of variety. Um, you know, we started with the champagne method ciders using um, you know dessert fruit, and have now um, our bitters and our crab apples have come in, and so we have a, a good a quantity of cider specific high tannin fruits and high acid fruits to play with um, and the market more and more is being dominated by sort of, you know, by can as a, as a, as a packaging um, demand and uh, which, you know, so we have some canned ciders and th those are selling well and getting us a better distribution. But um, you know, it's a little bit heartbreaking because uh, we want to. We are really all about the the bottled ciders and the and the the more um, you know the more sophisticated ciders that that we really love and got into the business to make, along with the pomo. <clears throat> so it's it's a bit of a challenge because uh, as far as wholesale distribution goes and getting represented in the market to get out there and um, sort of uh, proselytize for fine cider as opposed to just sort of um uh canned cider and you know and putting good cider in cans and hoping it does hoping that the cans hold up and all those issues that we've been uh dealing with in the marketplace and then the pomo is almost um it's like a, a whole whole nother beast because 
no one really knows what it is. Um, and um, it, it's not, uh, you know, obviously it's not bubbly. And uh, so it's, it's like almost a different customer sometimes because you're, you might be talking to the bartender instead of the, the sommelier, or you might be talking to, um, you know, just a different buyer in, in general. Um, and, and again, comes down to education across the whole category because of the confusion in the marketplace about, um, you know, people constantly say, oh, are you, uh, so where's your brewery? You know, where's your brewery? <laughs> well, we don't, we don't brew anything. There's no brewing going on. And so there's just every step of the way of, of talking to people about the cider and about the Pomo. It's um, a lot of handholding to um, kind of walk people through what we're about, which is, you know, taking apples grown, uh, you know, a state grown fruit that's specifically, um, you know, from one place and trying to make ciders that ex that that express that and and, um, you know, honor the fruit as opposed to sort of using it as a neutral backdrop in, in the way that a lot of people are have experienced cider in the in the macro world. I will say how much I love Pomo as a style. I mean, years ago, I, I would finish after any night of working. I would I would have a little Pomo from my guests uh, just as a way to, to end the night without having to go too hard. Um, what is your Pomo, yeah. Paul? Just, just for some of our listeners who may not know what Pomo is. I think it's one of the greatest cider-based uh, drinks that you can get. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, I discovered um, Pomo in my travels um, and had really fallen in love with how delicious it is. And when I was in Normandy visiting um, Calvados distilleries, you know, the Pamo was uh, sort of the, the orphan stepchild of the, of the French world of beverages. And I'm just like, I just couldn't believe that something that's so delicious and approachable and really has such universal appeal um, was kind of, you know, just, kind of poo-pooed as like, a, and also, and also the, also their type product. But, um, so our product is called 1066. Uh, we named, named it for the year of the Norman invasion. And <laughs> initially we didn't bottle it. Um, we didn't put the word Pomo on the bottle, um, hoping to honor the, the DO of the French DO. Um, you know, we were one of the first producers in the United States to, to, to make one commercially. And, um, you know, we, uh, we distilled the brandy at a local distillery using from our cider. We aged them in some used French oak uh, barrels. And then we blend it down, re-age it again, and we do different blends and sometimes single barrel releases. And um, we don't dilute, so the the um, ABV sometimes is um, variable depending on the barrels. But we generally shoot for, you know, somewhere around eighteen to twenty percent, um, which is a little higher than the diluted French Pomo, where they often bring it down to seventeen. Um, but um, it's in the it's it's within the, the the range of the definition of the category. Um, so it's really very traditional. Um, I think if you get a small producer Pomo that's, you know, straight from the barrel, um, the big difference would be that we don't use the high tannin fruits in any of the Pomo to date. So um, our Pomo is a little softer, a little less tannic structure, a um, little, little fruity. Um, but we have ages, 
you know, the minimum age is uh, three years in the barrel before um, it gets into the blend. And we have Pomo now that are up to, you know, nine, 10 years in the barrel. So we, we, we spend a lot of time and care to blend the batches. So we get, um, you know, characteristic differences between the bottlings, but also, you know, enough, enough depth in, in, in each and enough fruitiness in each to, um, really be, uh, wonderfully balanced. So yeah. And and I'll say for uh, any, uh, anyone who has like a beer bar or a wine bar with just wine and beer license in New York, highly recommend you, you add a Pomo as, as something for, for the last drink of the night, because, um, when you don't have liquor, uh, sometimes you have to be more creative. And, and I found that I'm, I'm very happy with Pomo at the end of the night. Steve, um, just give us a little overview of, of what you've been doing. And, and I mean, it's been, it's been a few years since we talked. Last time you helped us do a show about uh, still ciders, which then seemed radical. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Wow. The, there's a lot that's been going on since we last talked. Um, we opened a tasting room the fall before the pandemic started. So the fall of 2019, we uh, finally took the plunge and uh, built a cidery with tasting room right at the orchard. Yeah. So we, we just did that. I've been making cider since 2002 and we opened the commercial cidery in 2013, but it took a few years to get enough, um, uh, enough years under our belt to feel comfortable jumping in and building a building right at the orchard for a cidery and a tasting room. So we finally did that in 2019. And, um, ever since then we've, um, yeah, been hosting a lot of people, uh, during the pandemic. It's been, um, an honor to be able to host people and give them a place to hang out and really enjoy cider, introducing a lot of people to cider. Um, cause I'd say more than half of the people that come to our tasting room are coming just to hang out with people and have something to eat and drink and not specifically seeking outsiders. So we take that opportunity to introduce people to, to decent ciders. Um, I would tie that into the, the still cider discussion, uh, that you brought up. You know, we talked about that a few years ago and that's one of, one of my, sort of pet projects is always to try and try and make still ciders that speak to people and not just to cider nerds or other cider makers. And, um, we do, we finally, now that we have a tasting room, it's easier to, to see people's reactions to, to our product. And we do have a cider, it's called Goldwyn, which is a blend of, um, Golden Russet and Baldwin. So, um, doesn't even have any of the, you know, what people think of as the hardcore cider apples, you know, the real tannic, um, European based cider apples. Um, it's based more on the, the North American cider apples, golden russet and Baldwin. Um, but we're making it in a style that is, is more like a really, um, you know, higher acid, high tension. It's also higher alcohol. It's naturally about 10 and a half percent alcohol because golden russets and Baldwin have a lot of, a lot of bricks. Um, so yeah, so still ciders still excite me, even though I've been making them for many years. Um, and now we're in the middle of harvest, and so it's it's October, which is the most most exciting month I find when harvesting apples. There there are plenty of apples right in September, and some of them are are great 
but now we're really getting into the heart of the season where all the, all the, all the, I think the best tasting apples are in October. We pressed about half of our Kingston black the other day. Um, so it's an exciting year at, at our estate orchard. We already pressed over, over a half ton of Kingston blacks and that's not even half the crop yet. Uh, and we only planted those trees in 2015. So it's exciting to finally have a crop coming from there. Um, we did our first commercial vintage from our home orchard in 2017, but this year is it's um, it's really coming into its own. Well, we'll have a bunch of estate ciders, and it's um, yeah, pretty exciting. Well, that's great. Hey, I'm gonna go back to Mike. Mike, um, you know, let, let's say you're—I don't know if you're doing the buying at Redfield. Um, you know, what what are some questions that you'd be asking these cider makers? if you're considering taking in their ciders. Yeah. You know, I like to, I like to get a sense of, of, uh, where producers are coming from philosophically. Um, you know, it's a, it's a relatively, you know, considering I came from beer, it's a relatively small world. You know, there's only uh, a few hundred producers that uh, I have access to, to bring into the shop, which, which sounds like a lot, but it's really not. Um, so yeah, I feel like I feel like I've gotten a little bit of a rhythm in terms of like who I'm working with and what kind of styles we're working with, but certainly like to know where their fruit is coming from first and foremost, and like how they approach either apple selection or or if they're growing apples, you know what they're deciding to grow and where. Um, yeah, I, I think like if there's a producer that's using um, bulk juice from Washington and and you know some kind of fruit puree to flavor it, I prefer that there's like an element of uh, of, of further depth, whether it's just, you know, a local producer, it's keeping the money in the economy, or if it's just, uh, you know, some people that are, are doing great, great work for their community or doing charity work or something. I like some other element to there rather than just, okay, here's another producer, um, uh, making another flavored cider. Um, and yeah, we do require everybody, everybody be able to talk to us about fruit sourcing and, and their approach to like why they're doing the things they're doing. We also have a uh, a big uh, I'll I'll use my my PG rated language, but we have a a, a no jerks rule. Um, so if uh, you know there's <laughs> some some producers out there that uh, that have acted kind of inappropriately in some way, they're they're not in the shop. That's it. So uh, yeah, you know, we have a few different approaches to the characteristics that we look for from a producer, but it, it really is the whole thing top to bottom, from you know not being a, a jerk to uh, to the agricultural element and their fermentation style. What's the cider right now that you're excited about? Oh man, we just, uh, as, as many listeners may know, um, the great Shelton brothers, uh, importing went out of business this year, which was, uh, I was genuinely very sad about that. I think yeah, this that's, is that's a tragic bro. Yeah. 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 This is a company that, you know, brought in a lot of the beers that were formative in my drinking experiences and, and really a lot of great ciders from the folks at Oliver's and, and Peckham's and, uh, really just kind of like an incredible selection and, and they went out of business. So we haven't been able to access some of those products in a while. And, uh, our pals at Ancho Cider in DC have done, a little bit of importing. So this week we were able to get a drop of like six new um, Herefordshire ciders from Oliver's and Ross on Y and Little Pomona. So I've been 
extremely excited to have those in the shop and uh yeah drinking them at every opportunity <laughs> well that's great what about for you Paige? um what's what's exciting right now in your store yeah i don't know there's 300 of them in here it's, <laughs> it's kind of hard to choose i'm just saying <laughs> well what's on the cider tree this week uh, well, actually, we um, we literally just tasted this morning, and uh, we are bringing in uh, some Black Diamond cider from the Finger Lakes, so from up in uh, Steve's area, and uh, pretty excited about that because um, Ian Merwin uh, is just really a great guy that sort of knows this category super, super well, um, kind of gets a little geeked out, so he's got a lot of information. I love his transparency on his label. And uh, we're su- I'm super excited about the Somerset Jersey style that they have, which is um, kind of a reboot of a, of a more of a dormant apple uh, called uh, Harry Masters Jersey. And uh, it's really it's really nice because it's got a little bit of soft tannin on the back and kind of just gives it a little like texture and grip to it. Uh, kind of reminds me a little bit of an English style cider in that regard. And uh, I think it's going to go great with uh, some of the fall flavors coming in, including like dark meat turkey and some gaming stuff. Uh, so I'm super psyched about this. And we'll be uh, tasting that out on Saturday during our uh, cider event. That's great. Hey, we're going to take a short break. And I'm, I'm going to start thinking about uh, tur- turkey pairings when I come back on your <laughs> sessions radio. All right. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Wisconsin, the state of cheese, makes half of the nation's specialty cheese and wins more awards than any other state or country. Our heritage and traditions, master cheesemaker program, and the American propensity for innovation all put Wisconsin on the cutting wedge of cheesemaking. With over 600 varieties of cheese to choose from and 5,500 national and international awards and counting, get ready to turn your refrigerator into a trophy case. Enjoying a Wisconsin cheese is basically like winning a gold medal in culinary achievement. Set your mind at cheese. When you bite into a wedge of Wisconsin Wonderful, you know it is made with the ultimate skill and passion possible. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Become a member and support us at heritageradionetwork.org. So it's our Cider Week uh, special episode. Um, Steve Salmon, man, thanks for uh, helping organize the show. Um, you know, we were talking about regional styles a little bit. It makes me think about um, the American Cider Book. By 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 Dan and uh, Mr. Cavallo, um, do you feel like that book is really influential or going to be influential for consumers and cider buyers? Oh yeah, for sure. Because that if someone's interested in cider, yeah, it's it's a roadmap. Um, yeah, yeah, roadmap just showing what's going on around, around the country. It's too bad. Neither of them could have been on the show. Yeah. We, we were, we had them on a few times in the spring, but um, I was just thinking about like one show I did with them. We, we talked about Southeastern ciders and we went to James Creek cider house and um, it was talking about ciders in like where Arizona or New Mexico meets Colorado and 
all these regions I had never thought of. Um, do, do you guys think that the, the different apples that, that are growing in those regions are going to become a, a cider style or is it really more about the producer's labels are going to become like culty or, or sought after? And every, anyone can answer that because it's such a big world. Like like Mike mentioned, Oliver Cider. Whenever I hear Oliver Cider from England, Herefordshire, I want that. Um, you know, are there going to be other ciders like that, that that kind of define a region? I would say yes. Um, I mean, I have people coming in asking for very specific ciders that are kind of more um, culty. So, for example, Aaron Burr Cider, we have a lot of, and, and um, Andy just came out with a book as well. Like, so we have people reading those books and coming in and actually asking about the ciders because they read um, a book, uh, a cider book. So I think that you're going to get, you're going to see a lot of people coming in because of this influence from Dan Pucci's book and also um, the other ones that have just hit the market. Yeah, Mike? Yeah, I was going to say that I, I feel like, um, yeah, I agree with Paige there for sure, especially with regard to people kind of latching on to certain producers and like really kind of like vibing with what they're with what they're bringing to the table in terms of like their approach, their their, um, you know, fruit sourcing, et cetera. But um, I just feel like cider kind of exists in a space where where regional styles are never going to be the primary way that people think of it. Um, I think we have you know, some folks that have kind of like thought about cider from that perspective when they've traveled to Normandy and tried, uh, you know, Cedar Boucher Brut, um, or whether they've gone to San Sebastian and drunk a bunch of Basque cider. Um, but then they come to the U.S. and the cider world here is so, it's so varied. There aren't rules. There aren't like controlled appellations dictating how people are making their cider. So I feel like, uh, you know, because it's it's just such a, a wild world that kind of, I feel like it occupies this, this space between a beer makers approach to beer making where they have kind of commoditized ingredients that they can form the way that they want to. And winemakers approach where they're kind of expressing terroir as their goal. Uh, cider kind of exists in this middle world where there isn't, there isn't rules, you know, people can add in other ingredients to kind of like conjure up something that they've conceived in their brain, or they can take, apples straight off the tree, mash them up and just let them ferment into something, something, uh, on its own. So, um, I think regional styles are limited to the extent that cider makers are not limited. Um, so people latching on to producers that they, uh, find really compelling, I think is, is the route to people establishing their taste. I think there, I hope there's room for both. I think that, you know, if you look at Steve and his his cohort of Finger Lake uh, cider makers, I think they've done a very good job at, um, you know, establishing a, a critical mass of producers who um, share share philosophy, um, share a, a terroir, a region. And I, I think over time, I know the New York Cider Association is is very interested in helping to promote um, you know, um, not a dictated style per se, like a, a, a Norman style or an Asturias like Cidra Nature, but I think maybe doing, um, you know, establishing a, uh, some, some sense of, of, um, sort of, uh, 
opt-in kind of style that that can help define the regionality. Um, I think be, from my perspective, um, you know, the problem, the problems that we see with British cider and with Spanish cider of, of not, um, not establishing a regional identity uh, enough is that, um, or, or a premium identity is that, you know, commodity fruit is great, um, but we need a sustainable uh, model that can support growers and producers and, you know, a product at the end of the, of the chain that is, um, you know, sellable at a price that can sustain that whole industry up and down. And I'm not sure that uh, a model that, that kind of talks about, you know, just using it as a backdrop um, is sustainable in the long term for for that kind of chain you know beer you know uses breakfast cereals that are, are you know very easy to obtain you know growing apples and growing quality apples is a much uh, more labor and time intensive um, undertaking and so i feel that in the long run i hope that there's room for an identity um that that supports that industry in a sustainable way and i'm i, I i'm very suspicious that the um you know the the beer model for cider can can do that in a way that that's uh long term yeah anyone else want to jump in on that no all right um i was thinking more about um just one thing about new york state is it seems that the last 10 years of like this cider revolution that many of the longtime family you know four or five six generation Apple growing farms have gotten into the hard cider game. And whether it's like Carl, you guys are partnered with Soon's Orchards. Um, it seems like that's a strength of New York. Is that something that New York State is really ahead of than other states just because of the amount of cider trees and apple trees? I can't really I can't speak to the other states. Um because I don't, I don't really have experience, but I, I think it is a strength for us in the sense that, you know, I think um, New York State is very, you know, uniquely positioned in the sense that we have um, a lot of growers and we have a lot of high quality growers um, and it's a lot of family owned. They're not big, you know, they're not all big corporate um, growers. And I, I don't, I don't know if that's similar or different to say Washington per se, but I feel like, yeah, I think New York is um, blessed with a couple really distinct regions um, between the Hudson Valley and, and the Finger Lake regions where you have, um, you know, a very, very distinctive growing uh, environment. And um, so I think we're, we're poised with a legacy of family growers who have um, that we can build on, you know, and I think that's it is a it is a particular strength. I was just going to say that as a as a, a Californian operating in the Californian cider scene, uh, I'm really envious of what you folks have going in New York, um, especially with regard to like what Paige was saying about how you can just send send interested buyers to you know an orchard that may have a tasting room. And like we went to so many beautiful orchards with 
great tasting rooms and these really like customer friendly environments when we were out in New York a couple of years ago. And uh, that's not really something I'm able to do as a retailer. There aren't very many producers at all that have kind of like customer facing uh, orchard site tasting rooms out here. Um, so I think that's a really powerful tool that I'm super jealous of. <laughs> well, come to New York. Yeah. Hey, I just want to go back to Steve. Steve, um, can you just walk us through like what your line is and, and the different ciders you have? Because I see you keep growing in, in a wonderful way. Um, yes. How do I, I, I guess the way I categorize them often is, is that we have some ciders that are single orchard ciders and um, like our home orchard is one of them. Uh, it's called Full Bloom Orchard. And then we also have several other orchards that we have um, have taken on and we prune them and we harvest them, but we don't even spray them. So, you know, when I say manage, it's very loosely managed. Uh, that's like the Stone Fence Farm Orchard, the one-of-a-kind orchard. We have another one we're harvesting right now that has about uh, a dozen really old northern spy and greening trees on it, like 100-year-old trees. But then the landowner 20 years ago planted some Roxbury rusted, Asopus Pittsburgh, Golden rusted, Bramley seedling, you know, some really interesting uh, heirlooms. So um, we're, we're going to do a single orchard cider from that one. So there's one line. Those are the single orchard ciders. And then we do a bunch of single varietal ciders. And those range from uh, really bright, bubbly ciders like Baldwin, which is, is more, more of a cava or champagne um, structure to it. You know, it's all bubbles and acid. To some Harry Masters Jersey and Chisel Jersey, those are um, single varietal bittersweet apples. And those apples, for the most part, we're buying in um, some from the north end of the Finger Lakes up closer to Geneva. There's some, uh, some Baldwins and Golden Russets there. Um, and then there's some bittersweets. One of the one of the things that's allowed me to do a lot of experimentation and um, kind of push the envelope on even cider styles is the fact that when I planted my orchard, I also um, I I traveled around and talked to tons of apple growers to try and find someone that would plant bittersweet cider apples for me. And about a dozen old guys all said no. And they were like, you want me to plant bitter apples? And you're the only person <laughs> that's going to buy them? Like, yeah, I've seen a lot of fads come and go. I'm not into it. I mean, I heard that same thing about a dozen times. But then I found one guy who was, you know, closer to my age, um, had worked in England and had seen cider orchards and, and decided, he's like, yeah, I'll plant some. So, so he planted some for me. And that's up in Walcott, um, about 15 miles north of Geneva. And so um, I have a lot of bittersweet apples coming from there that I'm experimenting with. So that's where I'm able to do some, you know, 100% bittersweet, wild fermented, more almost like Brittany style ciders. Um, my string theory is one of those. The single varietal bittersweets um, are often made from that fruit. Um, and then the other ones, so I've got single orchard ciders. I've got the single variety ciders. And then the blends are the other category and the way i look at those is the way you look at you know certain wines are always a blend like you always know that you know a bordeaux is going to be a blend of certain varieties it's, it's not a random blend it's a very intentional blend and that's like my uh 
the Goldwyn, the Golden Russet, um, Baldwin still cider I was talking about is a blend. Uh, my patina is always a blend, but a very intentional blend of of bittersweets that are barrel aged along with some higher acid heirlooms, champagne method bone dry. Um, all of our sparkling ciders in the bottle are naturally sparkling. That's something that um, that sort of defines South Hill. The ciders are either still or they're naturally sparkling in the bottle. Um, we do some carbonation on kegs. That's the only carbonation that we do. Um, and um, yeah, that, that's how I categorize them. Single orchard ciders, there's single variety ciders, and then there are the blends, which are you know intentionally blended for certain balance and, and character. Um, I guess the, the pack basket is the one that doesn't fit into there. That's the one that's made all from wild apples, like wild seedling apples. So in a sense, it falls into the single orchard cider in a way, um, but not really because they come from all over. But it's um, hard to define those because every single tree is a different variety. So, you know, one bottle could have 80 varieties in it or more because every tree we harvest has a half bushel to five bushels of apples on it. Um, I remember back back in, I think I got a couple of cases of your 2015 pack basket and I did have a few bottles for a few years. Um, are, are are all your ciders meant to to be like, you know, not age worthy, but d- definitely laid down for a year or two? Will they get better? Yeah, it's not so much that they're meant to be age worthy. Um, my Palm Sir Lee was the one where that was sort of a goal. I wanted to make a cider that would probably be better in five or ten years or more, and um, and that one definitely hit the mark. But for the most part, I think they're age-worthy because they have significant structure. They have acid and tannins in in higher levels than average. And so that's, that's what makes any, I think, wine or cider something where it will develop more age um, or more complexity with age. You know, almost get a patina on it where it doesn't just, it doesn't just deteriorate when it's in the bottle. So most of our ciders, yeah, I'd say they're, they're better after they're in the bottle for at least six months, if not a year or a year and a half. Yeah, Steve, I'm so proud of you and I can't wait to one day, hopefully by next year, I'll come up and visit your tasting room. Um, Does anyone else, let's have one or two questions for anybody. So we're going to wrap this up. I know Paige has a question for, Oh, go for it, Mike. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, uh, I, I unfortunately have to drop off, but I wanted to thank you all for including me and, and, uh, uh, echo Jimmy's sentiments that Steve's ciders are ridiculously amazing. So get those. Mike, th- th- <laughs> throw, out a, throw out a question before you go. Oh man. Um, all right. I'd say, I'd say let's have everybody describe New York cider and what we think the regional style of New York cider is in three words. <laughs> Good one. Paige. <laughs> oh, come on. Okay. Um, delicious. Varied. Um, and must try. Sneaking in a hyphenated word in there is a little bit yes. cheating, but I'll let it go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You let that slide. Thanks. <laughs> Steve? Steve. Oh, boy. Wow. Um, well, they've got potential i guess i put potential one word um 
heirlooms. Got tons of heirlooms to work with. And uh, I'd say it's real, whatever the word real means in the beverage world. Love it. Carl? Yeah, to me, I feel like uh, the New York ciders that I consider New York ciders are, 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 you know, you know, fruit, fruit and orchard based are, um, are real ciders that are, you know, process and fruit, um, identified. And, um, and I think I agree with Steve that we have apples that are, that are unique to New York that, um, that, uh, help define who, who we are historically and, um, continue to play a, an important role in our cider making today. Wow. That's not, my th- not three my- words, but it's similar. <laughs> my three words, I'm going to steal what Steve said. Oh, boy, wow. Okay. <laughs> I can't play those games. But, Mike, you got to take off, but I wanted to say a few more words with everybody. So thanks so much, Mike. Yeah, thank thanks you. for joining us. Um, thanks, talk to Mike. everybody later. Yeah. And Paige, anything else? That your cider, your cider event is on Saturday. So basically, you're a retail store. So basically, you you taste. Do you have other reps tasting, or, or people? How does your format work? Yeah. So when we have events, so we have one coming up this Saturday. Um, when we have events, we have uh, some retailers coming and showing some ciders, and we always roll our thirteen taps of cider, which happen, you know, any time of any day. So anytime you come into our store. You know, a staff member can taste you on a couple of ciders, uh, you know, right off of our tap system. And they're predominantly uh, New York or East Coast based, but we do have some West Coast cider on there as well. Don't have anything outside of the U.S. though right now running on tap, but um, there's tons and tons of options and different flavor profiles. So and then we have another um, event coming up next Saturday, the 16th, and that's going to be with uh, Aaron Burr Ciders. So we'll have them. I out for tasting and uh, coinciding with Rye Week. Oh, that's great. Rye Whiskey as well. Well, you guys, thanks for joining me. Uh, Steve, you want to say anything else to wrap up the show or are we good? Yeah, it's been great being out with you, Jimmy. Come visit. Yeah, man. Looking forward to it. And I said, I, I you're, you're both between Carl and Steve right there. Um, I, I could spend years just drinking your ciders and Pomo. Um, yes, so thanks so much. There. Yeah, right? So yeah, thanks absolutely. to Steve. Paige, Carl, and Mike for joining me here on Heritage Radio Network. Thanks to our engineer, Armin Spengen. I'm Jimmy Carboni. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo! Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio is supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can also find us at Facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.